welcome to the Yoga Focus podcast. I'm Laura Gellner, a yoga therapist, occupational therapist, and the owner of Focused Wellness Therapeutics. I provide one-on-one yoga therapy sessions, small group therapeutic yoga, and online education for yoga teachers that is rooted in science. For more information, check out my website, lauragyoga.com. Hi everyone, I'm Laura. Welcome back to our video series on deep dive into yoga. This is our free PDF download ebook that you can get on my website, lauragyoga.com. So if you want to follow along with the videos and have the text to refer back to, just go over onto my website and when you sign up for the email newsletter, you're going to immediately get that sent to your inbox. In this video, we're going to be talking about some of the myths and misinformation that is floating around in the yoga world. And a lot of these are kind of phrases that I have heard teachers say, that I've seen on social media, all different resources. And there are things that I feel like we just need to move past and outgrow. So let's jump in and start to talk about some of these and see if these are things that you have heard or maybe said. I know I have said some of these things at different points in my teaching career. All right, so the first one is that yoga is for fill in the blank, thin, bendy, calm, very fit women. Like you could put any sort of label on it people have a lot of preconceived notions about, oh, people who do yoga are so calm. And I have to laugh really hard at that one because most of the people that I know who meditate regularly and use yoga as a tool in their life are trying to manage anxiety, depression, mental health struggles, perfectionism, um, negative body image, horrible self-talk patterns, like all of these different things that are actually quite the opposite of what you kind of imagine as this like perfect yoga person who's always calm and just always goes with the flow. Um, That's really definitely a misconception. Uh, Maybe when you hit the enlightenment phase of your practice, you can stay in that place of calm and focused all the time. But the reality is that I get distracted really easily and I notice that now. I have awareness of that so then I can use the tools to help to ground myself and refocus so that I can get things done like making these videos. Um, If I was really scattered and running around my house right now, this would not be getting done. So thanks to the tools and tricks that I have learned from my yoga practice, I am able to shift from being really distractible to being a bit more focused and getting the things done that I need to get done. But there's no one size fits all in terms of yoga. There is a form of yoga practice that will work for all sorts of different body types, experience levels, um, types of interest. So even if you don't wanna get on your mat to practice poses, like maybe that's not your thing, you don't like moving around like that, you might really enjoy chanting or doing kirtan or some other aspect of the practice, studying the texts and the scriptures might really appeal to you. So 
there is definitely no box that you have to fit in to be able to do yoga. And I really, really hope that that starts to expand and people start to understand that there's not like a, a type of person that you have to be in order to do yoga. Okay, the next one is this phrase, practice and all is coming. And I think part of the issue here is that we misapply this phrase. So it's not necessarily bad to say this. Practice is how we move forward. It's how we learn and how we gain new skills for sure. Practicing regularly will move you forward in that path of self-development and spiritual development. But a lot of times this gets applied to the yoga poses and that's where I see it being very problematic because that's how I thought of it when I was in that early phase of my yoga practice. I thought, okay, if I am practicing hard enough, I'm going to be able to do full lotus. I'm going to be able to do a split. Like all of these things that required a tremendous amount of flexibility and were glorified in yoga magazines and on social media and in the books that I was reading as I was a new yoga student, I thought, okay, if I practice two hours a day, every single day, then I will be able to do all of those poses. And if I don't achieve those poses, that means that I am not a good yogi and I did not practice hard enough. So I would go through this really unhealthy cycle of setting a goal that I wanted to do handstand or something. For a while it was scorpion pose. So I would say to myself, okay, this year I'm going to be able to execute scorpion pose and I'm going to practice all of these things so that I can get to that end goal of doing scorpion. And if I practice enough and I practice properly, that goal is achievable. That went on for many years and I finally came to the conclusion that we really can't apply this to the physicality of the practice. Of course, challenging yourself and creating goals, moving in a certain direction is something that I love doing, but we have to be really aware of how we're doing it, like what the intention is behind it. For me, I was in a really weird space where I was a young yoga teacher and I felt like everybody around me had these amazing physical practices and they could do all of these super advanced poses. And I felt like I was not a good yoga teacher because I couldn't do scorpion. I remember being at a workshop and the teacher just like popped up into scorpion and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm never going to get to this point where I can do a pose like that. Why am I even teaching? So those were the, the thoughts that I was struggling with at that point. And then this this whole cascade of guilt would come in of like, oh, you're not practicing enough. You're not being a good yogi. And that's why you're not going to achieve that pose. The reality of the situation was that I was in graduate school and I was studying or in class like 95% of the time. I was lucky if I got to shower and sleep every day, let alone finding time to go onto my yoga mat. So my energy and my priorities were being pulled to a very different spot at that point. That was the reality. Um, and I wish that I had recognized the fact that that was not where my energy needed to be going. So try to think about your relationship with this phrase. What do you think about when you hear the phrase practice and all is coming? I talk about this in my anatomy lectures as well when I'm talking to new yoga teachers and I want them to understand the 
difference in bone structures from one person to the other. There are some people whose hip sockets are so deep that they're never going to be able to achieve lotus pose. They could stretch their hips morning, noon, and night for the rest of their lives, and they are never going to be able to get the external rotation needed to sit safely in lotus pose. What will probably happen before then is they're going to do something really awful to their knee and cause a ligament injury because they're cranking on their legs so hard, or maybe uh, an injury to the soft tissue structures of their hip because they're trying to force something that their bone structure is not naturally made to do. There are other people who have not done yoga a day in their life and they can just whoop, fold their legs right into full lotus like it's nothing. Their hip structure and the composition of their ligaments is probably very different than mine. <laughs> so when I realized that, it was like a weight off my shoulders. I was like, oh my gosh, I was trying to force my body to do things that my body did not want to do. And I was causing injury in that process. So if you're in that camp and you kind of wake up one day and figure out like, oh, my bones just will not do that. I can put my time and energy toward investigating other things and working on other things. That was such a great turning point in my practice. So think about your relationship between this phrase practice and all is coming. Think about how you apply it and whether or not it's helping you to foster healthy habits within your practice and healthy self-talk on and off of your mat. All right, the next one. This one has been getting a lot of attention on social media lately, and I'm very glad that it has. The next phrase is the idea that the pose you avoid is the one that you need the most. And I, I can't help but cringe when I read this one now, because this was another one. When I was early in my practice and when I was early in my teaching, I definitely said this to my students. I apologize. And I said it to myself on my mat, that those poses that didn't feel good in my body, and I can think in particular um, certain really deep back bends like wheel, would literally leave me with back pain for like four to five days after I was trying to practice it. But I kept going and I kept trying to push myself because I was like, well, the pose that you don't want to do is the one that you need the most. And then luckily I evolved in my thought process and eventually figured out that that pose didn't feel good in my body because my spine moves in a different way. My spine does not like really deep back bending. And when I force myself to do that, I'm actually causing injury, I'm causing harm. So that was a really big step forward for me in terms of understanding ahimsa of, I don't wanna damage my body by forcing it into this shape just because somebody says that, oh, well, if that pose is the one that you don't like practicing, then you must need to practice it more. That's like telling somebody if they're allergic to a certain food, they better start eating it regularly and just kind of work through it. Um, that's not something that we would say to people. So why do we do that with yoga poses? I'm really not sure. Um, the, the healthier, more modern approach that we can take here is to say, why do you avoid that pose? So maybe if there's a little bit of fear with like inversions, it can bring up a great conversation within yourself of like, okay, is this a fear that is preventing me from hurting myself? Or is this a fear that I can work through and try to push myself forward so that I gain more self-confidence? Because when we meet challenges, that can be a great way 
to build confidence in yourself that you will be able to meet other challenges in the future. But this is the incredibly important distinction that we are trying to learn on our mat. When do you push yourself into healthy challenge? And when do you allow yourself to rest or to take something out of the practice that is not serving you? So wheel is not a part of my normal physical practice and I'm okay with that. I do other back bends that feel much better and leave my body feeling good. I don't have back pain for four or five days after my practice anymore. That's just not something that I'm going to force myself into or think that I need to tolerate. And I hope that other people are learning that same process. The other thing here is that as teachers, we can help students to make choices. Like, okay, if you don't want to do wheel today, do you want to do bridge? Or do you want to do um, maybe a supported backbend over a block? Or what other choices can you lay out for your students so that they can think to themselves, how does my body feel today? What pose is going to be a good choice for me to put in my practice? then you can strengthen that relationship of them really taking ownership of their practice and doing something that's feeding and supporting their body in a healthy way. That's a great thing. If you can start that process as a yoga teacher, that is an amazing gift for your students. All right, so this next phrase kind of falls into a very similar category, and that's the idea that the pose begins when you want to get out of it. And it's another kind of opportunity to examine your relationship with challenge, to look at how you push yourself. Because I've worked with a lot of people in the therapy clinic who fall into this category that I call chronic overdoers. These are the people who are like the weekend warriors. They will go out and do these super ultra marathons and just overdo. They, they're not good at moderation. They're not good at kind of tempering their exuberance when it comes to um, physical movements. And very often that will result in injury or overuse. And then when I'm working with them in the therapy clinic, they're the people who I'll tell them to do two sets of 10 of an exercise. And then I go to work on my note and I come back and they go, I did 80 instead, because that's better, right? And I'll be like, no, no, that's not, more is not always better. So when you're in a pose and you have that thought of, mm, I want to get out of this pose, the next thought is, well, why? Are you having pain? Do you feel like this is causing you an injury? Get out of the pose. Do not force yourself into a place that is going to cause injury. If you're in the pose and you're like, I'm bored. I don't like this pose. It's kind of stupid. The next thought is, hmm, do I really not like this pose? Or do I feel like I just need more input or something to anchor my mind because my mind is trying to go off and do what the mind does. We're so used to constant stimulation that boredom when you're holding a pose is a really common thing for students and that's when they're just like eh, all right next pose give me some other thing to think about and move into because then my brain is going to be happier. But that's where you actually need to hold and work through it and be like nope we're staying here. 
we're going to work through that feeling of internal discomfort or we're going to work through that feeling of deep stretch but it's deep stretch in a safe way one of the things that i love about kundalini yoga is that you constantly get to go through this process in your mind so in kundalini yoga we do very strong movement sets that's one component of the practice there are many components but in that particular style where maybe we're doing like fists of fury and we're just punching back and forth really strong inhale exhale inhale exhale and maybe we're trying to do it for three minutes and you get to about that two minute mark and you're like mm, done with this why are we still doing this i i just feel like i need a break then you go through that process of saying do i really need a break do i have pain is my body saying oh you need to stop right now to prevent injury or is my brain just bored do i need to push past that wall and find a new level of focus because that's really where it's almost like lifting weights for your brain when you get past that first mental hurdle and you refocus yourself and reground yourself and then dig a little bit deeper and then you're like oh wait a minute no i actually do have more effort and more energy that I can tap into. And it's like this amazing revelation of, oh, I didn't even realize that untapped potential was under there. That's an incredible experience within your yoga practice. So we're looking for that positive experience of finding that energy and that reserve of strength and working through old habits that starts to create a very healthy pattern within you and not angling toward the I'm going to push so hard that I now have tendonitis in my hamstrings. Um, that's the direction that we do not want to go in. So that also comes down to the process of listening to your body in a way that really pays close attention to the signals that it's giving you. Is this strong sensation in a way that feels safe? Or is this sensation that is too strong or too sharp? that is telling me that this is dangerous or injury causing. So we don't want to hurt ourselves. That's no fun. All right. So let's let go of this idea that the pose begins when you want to get out of it. We can work on our mental toughness in so many different ways. Um, working in meditation is a great, great way to work on the mental focus and the internal struggle of that. All right. So the next one that we're talking about in terms of letting go of myths or misinformation is that yoga is all about being flexible and doing poses. So as yoga students, we want to be aware of the fact that the practice of yoga is vast. The physical practice of yoga has a whole span, right? We've talked about how there's like super gentle restorative yoga where you have all the props and you're just getting so comfortable and relaxed all the way up to that sweaty power vinyasa where you are moving and using every muscle in your body and there's so much effort output and so much fieriness to that practice. All of that is contained within the physical practice of yoga, but when we start to expand out beyond the physical practice, we have those other aspects like bhakti yoga where your yoga practice is about devotion to a higher power or studying scripture or doing chanting or doing selfless service, karma yoga, where you go out and you use your gifts and you do things like volunteer work or helping organizations, helping people. There's so many different forms that karma yoga can take. 
all of that is yoga. It's not just the poses. It's not just about being flexible. It's really so much more about what's underneath the surface and the intention behind any of your actions, the intention behind the poses you're doing on your mat, and the intention behind the service that you are doing out in the community. That's really where it becomes yoga. All right, so it's not about being flexible. And I say that to people all the time. I am not super flexible and I make it work. <laughs> I still enjoy my practice. I can't do splits. I still can't do scorpion pose and that's okay. I still love yoga. All right, the last one on here, people that practice yoga are calm and happy all the time. False. <laughs> um, I definitely see that portrayed in social media, right? Like you have the pictures of people meditating and they're just blissful and everything is wonderful. And I go on my yoga mat and everything is just like happy and feels great all the time. No, absolutely not. I can't even tell you how many times I've been in my practice and there's like this internal struggle going on because all of a sudden I've taken away all my distractors. I have taken away social media. My phone is not within reach. I can't work on the computer and do things that I normally use to distract myself if there's something I don't want to think about. Instead, you're on the mat. It might be quiet. Maybe you're sitting in periods of stillness and all of these things start to come up. I'm thinking about the argument I had with somebody five years ago. I'm thinking about something that I did at work that maybe I said the wrong thing to somebody. All of these little things can start to creep up into your mind during your yoga practice. And that doesn't always happen, but it can happen pretty regularly. And even for me now, two decades into practicing yoga, the difference is that that process still goes on. Now I'm more aware of it and it doesn't throw me off as much because I know that that's just my brain doing what my brain likes to do. And I'm better at redirecting it than I used to be. So there was a time where I could be on my mat and my brain would turn into a runaway train and just go down this really um, negative road because I wasn't getting any distractors to kind of pull me off of that. But that was something that I started to learn was part of getting comfortable being still, moving away from your distractors, and creating awareness of some of the negative thoughts, feelings, experiences that we have as humans. It's all part of it. We all have them. None of us get to be happy and calm all the time, and that's okay. That is part of being human. The ups and the downs are all part of this experience. So understand that you do not have to be calm and happy to start a yoga practice. Although I will say that my practice has helped me to angle more toward feeling calmer in times when I probably would not have been able to focus. It has given me an incredible collection of tools that when I get into those places where I feel really low, I don't get stuck there. That's the flexibility of it. It's more the mental flexibility that I have learned has helped me a thousand times more than being able to do a split. So when we start to understand, like if you are new to yoga, the poses are great. They can feel good. They're a great way to get to know your body, but it's actually the internal practices and learning how to work with your mind 
that has the transformative ripple effect into the other parts of your life. So those are the things that you want to put energy toward as well. Here's our quote to end this section from one of my favorite teachers, Donna Fari. In truth, it matters less what we do in practice than how we do it and why we do it. The same posture, the same sequence, the same meditation with a different intention takes on an entirely new meaning, meaning and will have entirely different outcomes. So words of wisdom from Donna Fari. She talks a lot about the intention that you have behind things. And that's what we were just talking about. The intention behind why you're getting on your mat, the intention behind why I thought I needed to do scorpion pose to be a good teacher, um, the intention behind why we go out and do service. That intention is so incredibly important. And she really encourages students to set your intention when you step onto your mat. Set your intention at the beginning of the day so you have that anchor for your mind throughout the day. All right, so that was our discussion on misinformation and myths, things that we can maybe even just look at and think about in a different way. In the next section, we're going to talk about expanding your knowledge of yoga and um, some important resources that you can use to learn more about this practice. Okay, I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for being here. Thank you for being here on the Yoga Focus podcast. I'm Laura Gellner. If you would like to stay connected to more yoga resources, you can follow me on Instagram at Laura G Yoga. I have many YouTube videos at Laura Gellner, The Yoga Focus Method, and you can find links to my book, Yoga Therapy at the Wall, and all of my online courses at my website, lauragyoga.com. Thanks so much for being here.